one of my uh, hobbies that I've taken up just in the last couple of years is, uh, is doing some woodworking. Now, this is something that's pretty new to me. I didn't, uh, I didn't grow up having much experience in that, uh, even though my grandfather was a, was a, hardware, store and a, contra- a hardware store owner and a contractor. Um, I just personally didn't have a lot of hands-on experience. But uh, a few years ago, my son Caleb and I, we decided we were going to make some benches uh, for our fire pit up at our family cabin. And uh, we had just these old rotted stumps that we had been sitting on for years. And so, so we got this idea, well, let's go build some benches together. Well, the only problem was when we set out to build our benches, we quickly realized that the extent of our tools at that time consisted of a hammer, a bucket of old nails, and a handsaw. And uh, so we started out, you know, trying to build these benches with just some nails and this simple handsaw, and things weren't really working out too well. And I quickly realized that if we were going to have any success in our woodworking ventures, we were going to have to get better equipped. And so uh, I started talking to buddies who, you know, know a thing or two about this. I started watching some YouTube videos. I, <coughs> I really just went out of my way to try to educate myself. What were we going to need? What was the equipment we were going to need? How would we set about it, you know, forming a plan? And, uh, and pretty soon we started to realize, okay, we need these tools and, and we need to get this and that. And we started kind of collecting the tools we needed. And, and this was over a process of a number of months. I mean, some of this stuff isn't cheap, right? You know, so, so we started collecting our tools and our different resources. And, and I was talking to friends, getting ideas for how we could go about building these benches. And, uh, and after a while, we were ready. We were prepared. We had the equipment. We had the plan. We were empowered to do it. And, uh, and so we set out. The first thing we did is we made these workbenches back here in our garage so that we would have a place to work. And, and those turned out pretty, pretty okay. So we were thinking, hey, this is working out pretty well. And so then we set out working on these benches. And, and uh, at, as of today, we've built, I think, what, five of these benches so far? Uh, we kept three of them for our family up at our, our family cabin, but then our neighbors started seeing them, and now we're having people come asking us to build benches for them, and uh, Caleb's got himself a nice little side business now helping, uh, helping me build these benches. I pay for the materials, and then he gets all the profit. That's how it works. So, uh, but, uh, but I get the privilege of hanging out with my son and doing some, uh, fun, some fun stuff together. But, but what I learned in this experience really is that the proper equipping having the right tools and the right resources makes all the difference. And in the same way, for us as followers of Jesus Christ, one of the things that we need to recognize is that when when Jesus rose from the grave and, and when he ascended into heaven, he didn't leave us here as his church just flailing in the dark, hoping that we could somehow figure this out. Jesus prepared his disciples. He equipped his disciples for action. And that's what I want to talk about today, is to help us understand the resources that Jesus has left us to carry out the mission that he's given us. We're not doing this thing blind, friends. We're not just, you know, hoping that it all works out, but God has prepared us and equipped us with the resources to be effective as his ambassadors in this world. And so that's what we're going to see this morning in the passage that we're going to look at, is that God has equipped us for action. And what we're going to see in our passage this morning, Luke 24, verses 36 through 53, we're going to find four ways in which Jesus has equipped his people to be effective as his ambassadors in this world. As I said earlier, I'm so excited about this passage. I mean, in fact, I wish I had more time to preach on it longer than I do today, because I really believe that this is a powerful message for us to hear. And, and, and if, if I had only one message to preach the rest of my life, I think this really might be it. 
So let's take a look at our passage together. <coughs> Luke chapter 24, starting in verse 36. While they were still talking about this. All right, context, real quick, context, just to remind you where we are. Jesus has risen from the grave. At this point, only a couple people have seen him alive. Some of the women who went to the tomb discovered the empty tomb, and then two of Jesus' disciples, unnamed disciples, ended up having this long walk conversation with Jesus on the road to a town called Emmaus. And, and now the disciples who are in hiding, Jesus's core group, they're beginning to hear these reports that Jesus is alive, that he's been resurrected. But as you can imagine, they don't, you know, they're in disbelief. They're in shock. They're in denial. They're thinking, we saw him die three days ago. His body's in the tomb. They're not sure what's going on. So that's the context to where we find ourselves here this morning. While they were talking about this, the disciples, these reports of the resurrection, Jesus stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. He said to them, why are you troubled and why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones, as you see I have. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still did not believe it because of joy and amazement, he asked them, do you have anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it in their presence. He said to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. He told them, this is what is written. The Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I am going to send you what my Father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. When he had led them out to the vicinity of Bethany, he lifted up his hands and blessed them. While he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up into heaven. Then they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And they stayed continually at the temple, praising God. Luke is just the first part of the story. Luke wrote a second part to the story. It's called the book of Acts. And it talks about how the disciples, empowered by God and his Holy Spirit, carried on the mission that Jesus left them. And it's a great story, great book, about how the early church grew and spread. But today, what I want to focus on are these final words, these final moments that Jesus spent with his disciples. And, and what we're going to find is there are four things in this passage this morning where we see how, how God has equipped us for action. He has equipped his people to go out and fulfill this plan, this commission that he's given us. So we're going to look at four resources that Jesus gave us. Number one, I want to highlight for us that Jesus has given us his peace. He's given us his peace. This passage starts out with the disciples uh, hiding out in fear, just wondering, you know, if they're going to be the next ones to be arrested. Their master's been crucified. Now they're hearing these strange reports that the tomb is empty. They don't know what's going on. And all of a sudden, Jesus appears to his followers. And the very first words he says to them, peace be with you. Peace be with you. You know, friends, one of the coolest points in this whole passage this morning is the fact that his very first words after his resurrection, the first words that he gave his disciples were a blessing of peace. A blessing of peace. See, Jesus knew exactly 
what his disciples needed that morning when he appeared to them. Peace is an important concept to the Jewish people. The Hebrew word for peace is shalom. It, it means wholeness and harmony and, and well-being. And at this moment in their lives, the disciples had anything but wholeness and harmony and well-being. They were hiding out in fear. They were terrified. They know Jesus was arrested and tortured and crucified, and they thought they might be next as his followers. And so they're hiding out in fear. Their whole world has been shaken. They don't know what's happening, what God is doing. And now Jesus appears in their midst and speaks a blessing of peace upon them. The one thing they needed most was Jesus' peace. And friends, I love that. I am so thankful that Jesus' very first words following his resurrection were a blessing of peace. Because just like Jesus' disciples, I, I don't know about you, but I need God's peace in my life every single day. I need his peace. I think we all need his peace. Life is chaotic. It's crazy. We, we need peace with God. We need peace in our relationships with others. We need peace just for daily living. I mean, I, I need God's peace. And so when I see Jesus speaking a blessing of, his, of peace to his people, promising them his peace, that gives me great comfort, great encouragement as someone who needs God's peace all the time. I mean, just this morning before the service started, literally one minute before walking in here, I spilled a cup of tea all over myself. And you better believe in that moment, the first thing that came to my mind was Jesus said, Jason, in a few minutes, you're going to be preaching about the peace I've promised you. So just take a deep breath, be at peace. Fortunately, I live really close to church. I, I ran to my car, I went home and I changed. I listened to KTIS on the way back to church. You want to know what the song was? It was some song about the peace of God. I'd never heard it before. I'm thinking, God, I think you're trying to tell me something this morning. But God promises us his peace. And, and what a great thing for us to know that God is faithful and he gives us peace in our relationship with him. If you don't know God, if you don't have a relationship with God, God invites you into a life-giving, saving, joy-filled relationship with him where you can be brought into wholeness once again with your creator. God offers us peace in our relationships with one another. Maybe you're struggling today in your marriage or in your relationship with your kids or maybe your neighbors or coworkers, and Jesus promises he gives us, he gives us his peace. Maybe daily life is overwhelming to you and, and this is a time for you to just remember that Jesus has promised me his peace. On Memorial Day this past week, my family and I, we'd spent uh, Sunday afternoon and Monday up at our family cabin up in northeast Wisconsin. Memorial Day, we drove home late at night and we got caught in that major thunderstorm that came through. We were driving home on Highway 8, heading back towards the border, and uh, we got to this small town, uh, this unincorporated town range. You might know it. It's right in between St. Croix Falls and, and uh, Turtle Lake. And the hail just started pouring down, golf ball size hail. And, and I'm thinking, this is nuts. We're going to, you know, this is, we're going to get an accident. You know, our car's getting demolished by this hail. So, so I pulled off into this little town, and I found this little country church, and we pulled into the parking lot. I figured, you know, hey, I'm a pastor. We'll be safe sitting in a church parking lot, right? <laughs> but the direction that the storm was coming, the hail was just beating against our car. Well, right next to the church, there's this big old granary building. And so I 
backed up the car and we pulled around to the front of the granary and we got real tight and close to the building. And you know what it did? It blocked that hail that was coming from the south. And it totally held us there safe, protected from that hail. And friends, in the same way that that granary building protected us from the, the beating that was taking place from the hail and the storm outside, when we get close to Jesus, Jesus promises us his peace. But you got to stay close to him. That's the key to experiencing God's peace. Hebrews 6.19 tells us that we have this hope as an anchor for our soul, firm and secure. What, what is the hope the author is talking about? The hope that we have is Jesus Christ and the gospel of Jesus Christ. And, and it's an anchor for our soul. And so when we hang on to Jesus, while the storms of life might be raging around us, Jesus promises us his peace a supernatural peace that transcends all understanding. The Apostle Paul puts it this way in Philippians 4, 6-7, through 7, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So friends, let me ask you this morning, where do you need God's peace in your life today? Maybe it's in a relationship. Maybe it's in your marriage. Maybe it's in a relationship with your children. Maybe, maybe you need God's peace in regards to some, some guilt or shame that you're carrying around in your life today from, from a sin that you've been caught up in. And, and the enemy is just beating you up over your past sins and your past actions and your past failures. And maybe you need to get close to Jesus this morning and let him carry that burden for you. Maybe the anxieties and stresses of life are just overwhelming you, and, and today is an opportunity to be reminded that Jesus offers you his peace. And so hold on. Hold on to Jesus, who is the anchor of your soul. He promises to give you his peace. The second thing we see in our passage this morning that Jesus has given us is not only has he given us his peace, but he's given us his proofs. He gave his followers evidences that he truly was the Messiah, the Son of God. As his disciples were huddled in that room, hiding out in fear, hearing these early reports of the resurrection, verses 37 through 45 tell us that when Jesus appeared to him, after he gives them a blessing of peace, then he begins to demonstrate to them proofs that he really was who he had claimed to be, the Messiah, the Son of God. The first proof that Jesus gives his disciples is that he had physically conquered the grave. He holds out his hands and he shows them his feet. He says, look at, touch and see. Here are the wounds. A spirit, a ghost doesn't have flesh and bone as you see I have. But the disciples, they were, they were so overwhelmed. Look at what verse 41 says. They still didn't believe it because of joy and amazement. They were so overwhelmed that Jesus was there. It was like, this can't be real. This can't be happening. Here he was in their very presence, but they were so overwhelmed and excited that, that they just thought they were seeing things. They couldn't believe it. It, it. How many of you remember what took place on January 14th of this past year? January 14th, 2018. I'm ashamed of you. All of you Vikings fans should remember. <laughs> the Minneapolis miracle, right? You remember what happened in that moment when you saw that incredible play? What did the whole state of Minnesota collectively say? Did that just happen? Oh my gosh, did you see that? Did you, can you believe it? 
right? That's the experience of the disciples in this moment. Here's Jesus. They can't believe it. It's so amazing. It's so incredible. And so what does Jesus do? Jesus says, hey, you guys got anything to eat? He asks for a piece of fish. And they give him a broiled fish, and he eats it in their presence. Friends, I've never seen a ghost eat anything. But again, Jesus wanted to prove to them that he was physically alive. He had conquered the grave. See, here's the question you need to ask yourself. How does this ragtag group of Jesus followers hiding out in fear all of a sudden turn into a movement that literally would transform the world and become the largest religion globally today? How does that happen? It happens because they were so convinced that Jesus truly conquered the grave, that he was the Messiah, that they were willing to lay it all on the line to advance his message. Some of them went to their deaths for the message of Jesus Christ. They were so convinced that he had physically risen from the grave. The second proof that Jesus gives his disciples is is he shows them that he was the fulfillment of all of God's messianic promises. Verses 44 through 45 tell us that Jesus opened their minds to the scriptures. He took them back to the Old Testament, all the way from Genesis to Malachi. He revealed to them the prophecies that demonstrate that he really was who he claimed to be. And friends, what a lesson that must have been. Can you imagine sitting at the feet of Jesus? I mean, how long did that take? Was that like three, four hours? Was that all afternoon? Was that days as he just unfolded the scriptures and opened their minds? I'm wondering if it was something like this. As he walked through the Bible, showing proof after proof after proof, zeroing in, targeting the fact that he truly was the Messiah, the Savior of the world. And as he walked through the incredible prophecies, do you know there are over 60 prophecies in the Old Testament pointing to Jesus as the Messiah? These are just eight of them. Incredible prophecies that Jesus Christ fulfilled, highlighting the reality that he really was who he claims to be. Dr. Peter Stoner from Westmont College wrote a book a number of years ago called Science Speaks. He looked at those eight prophecies I just had on the screen, and he said, what are the odds that one man could fulfill all eight of these prophecies? You know, I mean, the odds are lots of guys have been born in Bethlehem, right? Lots of guys were from the line of David, but what are the odds that one man would fulfill all of these Old Testament prophecies? And Dr. Stoner just took eight of them, and he said that we find the chance that any man might have lived down to the present time and fulfilled just eight of these prophecies is one in 10 to the 17th power. Friends, that's a big number. That's a one in 100 quadrillion chance that one man would fulfill all these prophecies. Now, I'm not a big math guy, so when I hear numbers like that, my my mind just kind of starts zoning out, right? And Dr. Stoner understood this, so he made it more practical. He said this would be the equivalent of covering the entire state of Texas two feet deep in silver dollar coins and having one of those coins marked with an X on it and then releasing you out into that field, that state covered in quarter in silver dollars and expecting to pick one with the X on your first try. What are the odds of that happening? Well, it's one in 100 quadrillion that you would do that. That's the odds. Good luck, right? But Jesus gave his followers these proofs to convince them that he truly was the Messiah, the Son of God. 
He was the one who had risen from the grave. He was the one whom God had prophesied was coming, and he verified the fulfillment of those prophecies by rising from the grave. See, friends, Christianity isn't a blind faith. Okay, it's not wishful thinking. We're not here on Sunday morning hoping all this is true. For the follower of Jesus, what we are doing is we are walking confidently in the direction the evidence leads. Okay, don't buy into that baloney that you'll hear in our culture today. All you Christians just have faith, you know, blind faith, wishful. No way. I would not waste my time with blind faith. And I wouldn't want any of you wasting your time with blind faith. We follow Jesus because the evidence leads us to the conclusion that he really was who he claimed to be, the Messiah, the Son of God. This isn't wishful thinking. We're here because we can have confidence. The third thing Jesus left his disciples in our pastor this morning was he left them with a plan. He gave them his peace, he gave them proofs, and then he gave them a plan, verses 46 through 48. Let's read this on the screen together one more time. He told them this is what is written, the Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. Friends, this is the plan. Jesus gave his disciples what we call the Great Commission, the mission of preaching repentance and forgiveness of sins in Jesus' name to all nations. That's the plan we've been given. Luke, in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, he elaborates on this conversation that Jesus had. He says in Acts 1, 8, Jesus told his disciples, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. Matthew in his great commission in Matthew 20, 28, verses 18 through 20, then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Friends, this is the plan. This is the charge Jesus has given us as his people to be his ambassadors in the world, to take the message of the gospel to all people. Now, I want you to think about this commission up here, okay? This is a very odd command if people are okay in their native beliefs, if people are okay just as they are, following Buddha or Islam or Hinduism or shamanism, whatever you want, right? Why would Jesus tell us to go into all the world preaching repentance and forgiveness of sins in his name if people were okay? But the reality is they're not okay. They need Jesus. Romans 3.23 says that everyone in the world is a sinner, tainted by sin. We have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23 says that the wages of our sin is death. We're not okay. The Hindus, the Muslims, the Buddhists, the shamanists, the animists, the humanists, the atheists, they're not okay. They need Jesus. And the Bible consistently, repeatedly declares that Jesus is the only way to salvation. John 14, 6, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Acts 4, 12, there's no other name given under heaven by which men may be saved except the name of Jesus. 1 Timothy 2, verse 5, there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. And friends, we could go on and on and on. There's only one way. 
Now, this isn't my plan. This is Jesus's plan. Do, do I wish I could stand up here this morning and tell you, you know what, there are 10, 20 different roads you can take to get to God. They're all good. I would love to be able to do that. That would be great. That'd be an easy message to preach. But you know what, friends? What I wish was the case is irrelevant. What matters is what is true. And the truth is God has revealed there's only one path that leads to life, and that's his son, Jesus Christ. And so the world needs Jesus. And here at Lakes Free, we have made it our mission to be his ambassadors starting in this community and then spreading the message of Jesus all over the world. This morning, we are privileged to have one of our missionaries with us, Steve Wheeler from Whitefields. I want to invite Steve to come up and join us this morning. Give Steve a big round of applause today. Hey, brother. Steve is in the business of equipping pastors globally to fulfill the plan that Jesus gave his people. We have the privilege as a church of partnering with Steve and 20-some other missionaries that we partner with because our heart as a church is to prepare and equip people to take the gospel to all nations. That starts with us here at home, and then it extends around the world. And so I want Steve to share a little bit about what's going on in your ministry. Thanks, Thank brother. You. It's great to be with you this morning. Wonderful to worship with you. We've had a couple days. My wife is with me as well uh, to reacquaint ourselves with friends that we've uh, loved when we lived here and uh, then when you send us out to go help with pastor's training. We have the privilege, uh, when Jason brought me up as an object, I said, well, I'm a sinner. And I am a sinner saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. We have the great message to go preach the gospel and to share the gospel. And it's my privilege to walk alongside national pastors that are supported and trained by Whitefield's ministry. The gospel is really such a simple message. It's great to see the advertisements. In just a couple of weeks, you're going to have VBS. And your teachers are going to be sharing the simplicity of the gospel to five, six, seven, eight-year-olds. That can be like the Philippian jailer who after a night of seeing Paul and Silas worship God and then the angels busted open the doors and he thought, oh no, all the prisoners have escaped and he was going to kill himself. Remember that story? And then he went and he saw that Paul and Silas were still there. And so they said, don't kill yourself. And he asked them the question, what must I do to be saved? Well, they said, we need to spend three years studying with you to tell you everything that you need to understand. No, you know what they said? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. But Jason was just sharing it. Believe on Jesus Christ. And then they told him what the Lord said. And then he and his whole household that night became believers and were baptized. And yet the gospel, not only is it so simple, but it's so profound. Those of us that have been Christians for 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years. Anybody a believer for over 60 years here? You've not plumbed the depths of the greatness. We have worshipped today, and my heart was thrilled. Thank you, worship team, for bringing the thoughts of the gospel that God has saved me. He poured out his blood. How did that save me? And that's what we get to go preach the gospel with. Well, that Philippian jailer, Paul wrote a letter to that church in Philippi, and he thanked them for their partnership in the gospel because they'd been praying and supporting him. And I want today to thank you for your partnership, Lakes Free. 
You support our ministry. You pray for us. Some of you are daily on our Facebook pages or you've joined up to our email list. Some of you give and and generously donate to Whitefields. I want to thank you for that. And because of that, we can introduce you to a new brother and sister in Jesus Christ in the country of Myanmar. How many of you have been to Myanmar or Burma? Well, you know what? You're a part of this couple becoming believers in Jesus Christ. I walked alongside the pastor of this place when I was there, and my wife was with me on this trip. It's a hot, arid place, sometimes quite often over 100 degrees. It's very dry, and so the government of Myanmar told a bunch of people, if you want to go live here, we'll give you property. Uh, Go become farmers in this hot, dry, arid place, and you'll have a wonderful life. There's your property. Go live there. Well, Pastor Ruat decided to go there, And I asked him, how many Christians were here when you got here? There were none. There were no Christians. He was the first witness there. And we supported him to go start a church, and he began sharing the gospel. Well, the Buddhist monk of this place you were just sharing about, there's only gospel in Jesus Christ, only salvation. The Buddhist monk threatened this couple, and they said, you cannot go to this church. Don't get involved with them. Stay away from them. And because of your generous giving, the verse that Gus uh, read for us this morning talked about giving of your own goods and showing compassion. Well, I want to let you know the offerings that Lakes Free gives to support white fields were used to bore a well at this place and the church began to give water. An important thing if you're going to farm in a place over 100 degrees. And this woman said, I'm going to go there and find out why they're giving us free water. That's not usual. And she came and heard the message of Jesus Christ and she and her husband became believers in Jesus Christ. Well, that's not where the story ends. They, uh, had people that came and wanted to know, why have you become Christians and started going there? And so they had a pig and they wanted to share that with their neighbors because they couldn't answer all their questions. Have you ever tried to share the gospel with someone and you couldn't answer the questions they started? Well, that's when you invite Jason. (laughs) Hey, come over to our house. We're having a feast. I want you to come and you're going to answer all their questions. And that's what this couple did. They said, if we want to gather a crowd, we're going to roast a pig. And everybody in the village, we're going to come do that. And so they had over 200 people that showed up. And we were able to send some of the youth from our other churches to lead singing. And we gathered our pastors together. And they came down and they preached the gospel. And as a result of that, many other people became Christians. And you know what now? I love that illustration you played at the beginning. Four new believers, that's Pastor Rot White in the middle. He's got the beginning of a youth group now, not just the elderly people. So two have become four. They've got many other people. Those young people are being baptized publicly in front of everyone. They're not as afraid because they now have the growing body of believers in doing that. And so, my friends, you've got new believers in the country of Myanmar, and you've never even gone there, and yet you're a partner in the sharing of the gospel there. I also had the privilege to walk into the country of Africa, the continent of Africa. We are uh, raising up. We've got a number of uh, church planners. I'm going to share after the second service a little potluck, uh, and and we're going to share in more detail about what God is doing because this is just like, what, eight minutes? How close am I? I'm almost done. I had the privilege to walk into their houses and pray with them. We went into an area where people were starving to death just a year ago, a lot of times famine in Africa. No UN help. Nobody was down there helping these people. We came in, did some ministry through our local churches. People began to receive food. They came alive. They heard the gospel. They've become believers. And once again, we have been able to see people coming to faith in Jesus Christ and being baptized. 
I was also just in the Middle East this last year. I can't share with you anything publicly here about that, but I'm going to share some in the after church service today. God is doing some amazing things with the gospel in the Middle East. One last picture here in Africa. You wonder, what is going on there? Well, right out of the book of Acts, the woman on the right side of that picture was a witch doctor. Just about four weeks ago, she gave her life to Jesus Christ, and she brought out all of the fetishes that she used to call up the spirits in the demonic world and say, I want to put hexes on people. She brought those out. The church gathered around her, and she lit them on fire and burned them. All of those people stood the non-believers around the outside of that circle waiting to see if this woman would drop dead from the demons. She did not. Now they say Jesus is more powerful than those spirits. Tell us more about Jesus Christ. Thank you, Jason. If you'd like to hear more from Steve, he's going to be up in room 233 following our second service to share more of these powerful stories. But I wanted Steve to share with us this morning because this is just an example of how the plan that Jesus has given us is being fulfilled all over the world today. And we are a part of that plan. It starts here in the Chisago Lakes area and it goes around the world. And so the question that we need to ask ourselves as God's people here in Lindstrom this morning is what part are we going to play in fulfilling the plan that Jesus has given us? Maybe God's going to call some of you to go to other parts of the world. Maybe God's going to call you just to go down to the end of your driveway and talk to your neighbor. Or maybe God's going to call you to to give to, to organizations like Whitefield or others that have a greater ability to go. But all of us, friends, as followers of Jesus, have the responsibility to participate in this great plan. And the last thing I want to share with you from our passage this morning is not only has Jesus given us the plan, but he's given us the power to carry out the plan. Jesus has given us the power. He promised his disciples that God would give them power from on high. And the power that Jesus was talking about was the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. The word power in the Greek is the word dunamis. It's the word that we get our word for dynamite from. It's an explosive power. It's a dynamic power. And Jesus promises that when we follow him as his people, the Holy Spirit will empower us with this dynamic supernatural ability to carry out the plan that he's given us. Now, a lot of Christians, they spend their lives and they don't live their lives like they have this dynamic power within them. They live their lives more like they have like this firecracker going off every once in a while. Not dynamite. But Jesus says, no, you've been given dynamic power. What's the difference? Friends, as Christians, you have to access the power God's given you. You see, the Holy Spirit comes and he lives within each and every one of us. But unless we walk in faith and step out in faith and access the power he's given us, we're not going to see it manifested in supernatural ways. You see, it's just like this flashlight my, my son got this past week. Right now, there's batteries inside this flashlight. The power is inside. But you know what? It's not going to do any good unless I access the power by turning on the flashlight to access the power within. And now I got a flashlight that shines brightly, right? The power is already in there, but I've got to access it. 
And so Jesus has given us the power, the Holy Spirit's within us. Now, friends, the challenge for us is, how am I going to step out in faith and put the power God has given me to work? You see, you can't be a spiritual couch potato and expect to see fireworks. All right? But when you step out in faith, believing that God has given you the resources you need, he will do miraculous things. And so my challenge for you this morning, I think God's challenge for all of us this morning is this. Where might God be asking you to step out in faith today? Where in your life today might God be saying, you know what, trust me, take a step of faith, take a bold action, dream a God-sized dream that is so big that if God's not empowering you to do it, it's never going to be achieved, and step out in faith and trust me. And friends, when you do that, I promise you, you will see miraculous things take place. And I guarantee you, if you're here this morning and you're thinking, man, my faith is just kind of stagnant, I'm kind of bored in my faith. Friends, I guarantee you that anybody who is walking on the front lines, playing in the game, those people are not bored, right? Get in the game, step out in faith, trust God, access the power within you, and God will begin to do incredible things. We have the resource available to us. We just need to step out in faith and then we'll see God do some awesome things together. Let me close in the word of prayer this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this incredible teaching. And I just, uh, man, I wish I had another hour. But Lord, we thank you that you have equipped your people for action. You've given us all the resources that we need. And now, Lord, we have to choose to walk in faith. Would you empower us and embolden us to do that today, Lord? God, may we never be content with what we are today, but may we have a passion to see this church grow and more lives in our community reached and the fame of Jesus spread all over the world. God, give us a hunger and a passion to see that happen and inspire each of us here this morning, Lord, to be a part of that great mission. We all have a role to play. And as followers of Jesus, you've empowered each of us. God, help us to stop just sitting around, apathetic, doing nothing. Give us a burden and a passion to walk in faith and believe that by your empowerment, you can do miraculous things. You can change the lives in our neighborhood. You can change the lives in our families. You can change our workplaces. You can change our nation. God, raise up an army of your people who believe the power has been given us. The plan has been given us. The peace has been given us. The proofs have been given to us. And let us walk in faith and see the spread of the gospel take place. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I leave you with these words this morning from the book of Galatians chapter 1. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from this present evil age according to will of the will of God our Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. God bless you, friends.